uh, several weeks, in fact, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's uh, the largest, longest sermon that we have recorded in Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ preached. It is primarily written to His disciples. It's not written for uh, those that are lost, but really more to teach His disciples, uh, first of all, that they um, need to have some inner character, some things that they need to be inwardly. Then He deals with the Beatitudes and the Similitudes, speaking of how they are to present themselves outwardly. And then... Uh, it brings us to the passage that we're going to deal with uh, this morning. And uh, I want to ask you to, uh, if you will, bear with us as we teach this passage. It will more than likely take two or three weeks to get through uh, the overall uh, message that he's bringing in this portion of his message. And uh, it lays a foundation for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's going to be kind of critical if you if you come today and you don't get the stuff that comes next week and the week after, uh, you're probably going to sit there and be uh, know about half of what is being taught here. Uh, it's just there's so much here to teach. It's going to take more than today to get there. So uh, I want to encourage you. I know we got Thanksgiving coming up here and uh, the Christmas holidays. But uh, I want to ask you in the next several weeks, if you will, to uh, be as faithful as is humanly possible to do. Uh, because I don't want you to miss the overall truth. It's, it's one thing to, to look at a, a concentrated area of truth. It's another thing entirely when we see the overall beauty of it when it's all brought together and uh, how it all fits. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if at all possible, try not to miss any of the Sundays uh, over the next uh, probably at least three or four weeks, I would say. And uh, then after that, it's okay to miss them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shouldn't miss any Sunday, but... I understand that there are some times that it cannot be helped. Matthew chapter number 5, and uh, let's go ahead and begin uh, in verse number 17. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Uh, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, these least commandments, and shall teach men, all, uh, men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Father, once again we come to you, we ask for the next few moments that your Holy Spirit will guide us, direct our hearts and our thoughts, and Lord, that we understand the truth that is being given here, very, uh, very crucial and often misunderstood truth. And I pray that you would help to help us rightly divide it to give clear understanding of it, and may it uh, write itself upon the tablets of our hearts. May it ingrain itself into our lives. And we can learn this vital truth that will so help us to be a better disciple of you, to be a better follower of you, and to be uh, more sensitive and more yielded to living a life that is pleasing to you. So guide and direct our steps, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Jesus has been dealing now with the disciples, first of all, on what they were inwardly, and then He began to deal with things that they should do outwardly. And some of the things that He has already taught have gone against some of the, the religious teachings of the day. And some of the things that He's going to teach after He gets through this portion of Scripture will also tend to uh, go against the grain of the religious leaders of the day. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, you've got to understand, uh, were, were very religious people. They prided themselves on the keeping of the law. Uh, the fact that outwardly, uh, they many times, in fact, uh, it's, it's interesting that when Christ deals with them, He does not condemn them for what they did on the outside. Their actions, the things that they did to keep the law, uh, Christ actually commended them for, said, outwardly, you are clean. Uh, but he, con- he condemned them for uh, what they were on the inside. And there was, there was beginnings of some rumblings of some of the people to say, these things that you're teaching are, are, are canceling out or are causing the law uh, to be brought into question, this law that we've been taught. Now, I want you to understand there are several things uh, about the law that uh, are very important for us to know. There were certain laws given that were specific to Israel. And they were laws that dealt with um, uh, cleanliness, that dealt with uh, sanitary things and just the health of people. There were laws that were ceremonial laws that were to be used in their uh, practice and in their worship. And then there were moral laws that were given. Uh, Some of these laws, the ceremonial laws, and even some of the health uh, issue laws because of modern uh, technology and conveniences and medications, are not things that necessarily we need to follow today, uh, although there is some, some wisdom in a lot of those things. But the, the key here is the issue of moral law that God gives to the uh, nation of Israel. And uh, he, Christ is, is being accused here of uh, canceling out the law or destroying the law. And, and understand this, uh, that uh, the law was given to be our schoolmaster. The Bible teaches that, to bring us to Christ. What does that mean? Uh, we as sinful man need to recognize that we are sinners. We, we have to have that understanding or we cannot come to Christ. We also need to recognize and understand that He is without sin and He is absolutely perfect and holy. And so the only way for us to realize this is because God has given to us His moral law. Now, understand this, that the moral law is a picture and a reflection of God's righteousness. It is based on His righteousness. And when we understand the moral laws that God gave, we understand what righteousness is. Now, as we get into this passage, it's important for us to realize, as He's speaking to the disciples... That he's telling him, telling them, he says, I am not come to destroy the law of the prophets, uh, 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 but I am come to fulfill the law in every point. Hold your place here for a minute. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture here. And I want us to look, first of all, in Matthew chapter number 4, just back a chapter. And uh, let's go to verse number 14 for a moment. Matthew chapter 4. In fact, uh, well, let's go to verse number 12 and we'll uh, understand the context of it. 
This is right after uh, the Lord has come through the time of temptation with the devil. And in verse number 12 of chapter 4, the Bible says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim, that it might be, what's the next word here? Fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now, we can look at the prophecy, but the uh, prophecy, the truth of the prophecy is not our point here. The point is uh, that Christ wanted to make sure that He fulfilled the law. Uh, the idea that we as, as uh, men are, uh, ought to be obedient to the moral laws that God has given to us and that we, are to, we ought to fulfill the law in every point, the truth is, as sinners, we cannot do that, can we? As hard as we try... We cannot be righteous by the law. In fact, in the keeping of the law, uh, the Bible says uh, that by the law there shall no flesh be justified, because man cannot keep the law in every point. When Jesus makes this statement that He came to fulfill the law, I want you to understand that He came to fulfill the law, not just in the letter of it, but in its entirety. Uh, There was was, uh, laws that were given that uh, over time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of the priests in the temple uh, expounded on and made further qualifications of. For instance, dealing with uh, not doing any work on the Sabbath day, uh, the men, uh, the religious leaders, came up with some guidelines. And they said, okay, you can only walk so many steps on the Sabbath day. If you walk, walk further than that, then it's work. Uh, you can't draw water on the Sabbath. And there are several things uh, that they specified that were that were expounding on the law that God had given, but they were from men. They weren't God's expounding. Uh, and they had a lot of these practices. In fact, well over 600 of them that they had come up with uh, in, in setting some parameters of what it takes to fulfill the law in every point. And then they prided themselves on keeping the law outwardly. Jesus comes on the scene. And he, he's, he's combating this idea that the law is meant to be kept in the letter. He's trying to get the idea here that the law is used to express to us the righteousness of God and that we should have a heart to follow after the righteousness of God. This is the intent of the law. Uh, not, that, not that we come up with uh, specific uh, nuances and say, okay, on the Sabbath day, uh, you can only walk however much it was, 1,200 feet or steps. And if you go more than that, then you've broken the law. That was never the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to get to the heart of the matter and realize that there needed to be a day that was set apart for the time that we give to the Lord Jesus Christ and to worshiping Him and to putting our hearts and our thoughts upon Him. It was a day that we were to have our, our minds fixed upon Him. And there were various other aspects of the law. I've used that one as an illustration that these men were so good at keeping externally and had even uh, gone so far as to make additional uh, qualifications on what it takes to fulfill them and not fulfill them. Jesus comes on the scene, and He does not just fulfill the law in the letter, but He fulfills the law in all of its righteousness. He doesn't just do outwardly the things that are necessary from what man said to fulfill the law, but He fulfilled the very righteousness, the heart of the issue. The Bible says in verse number number 18 uh, of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, He says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot 
or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That's very, very important because we need to understand that in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Redeemer of sinful man, He had to fulfill the law not in most, not in a lot of, but in every part. Now, He was God. He's the one who made the law, isn't He? It would have been as easy as, as anything for God to say, okay, you know what, uh, let's wipe out this law and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a new law so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. He could have done it that way because He is the lawgiver. He is the moral right. But He had already given the law and He said, look, it's going to be better if I fulfill it. And so His plan of redemption was not to, not to fulfill in the letter like the Pharisees, but to fulfill in every aspect. To fulfill it in the heart of the issue. Uh, there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And Jesus, over, over His earthly ministry, uh, spent a lot of time uh, dealing with issues that the Pharisees would come and say, well, uh, you're breaking the law here. You've, uh, uh, you've done this and you've healed on the Sabbath. That's not lawful. And Jesus taught them a lesson that that was never the intent of that law. It was never the mindset of that law. The righteousness of that law was what was important. They had lost their idea of the righteousness of the law. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 12. And let's look in verse number 17. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 17. Let's back up to verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and the great multitude, multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be what? Fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Uh, look again in uh, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And let's look in verse number 4, Matthew chapter 21, verse number 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Again, over and over and over again in Scripture, we find that Jesus is going to fulfill not most of the prophecies about His coming, but every prophecy about His coming. He fulfilled not only the ceremonial laws, but He fulfilled the prophetic uh, moments of Scripture. And he also fulfilled the moral righteousness of the law in every point. Uh, look with me in Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 24. I think one of the clearest passages dealing with this, Luke chapter number 24. And uh, let's look in verse number 44. Luke chapter 24, and let's look in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must... How many things? All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He said all things have to be. The, the, the things that the prophets wrote, the law that Moses gave, everything that was said concerning me has to be fulfilled. And he fulfilled it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He is the fulfillment of the law. Why? Because we could not. You and I were not able to fulfill the law. Now, notice what he says here back in Matthew chapter number 5. 
And, and I want us to see this very, very clearly. That God fulfilled the law, Christ fulfilled the law, so that you and I can follow after His righteousness. That is the intent of it. Notice what he says here in verse number 19. Whosoever, therefore... Okay, it's based on what he has just said, that he is the fulfillment of the law. The reason he had to fulfill all the law was so that we would be involved in something now. He's teaching this to his disciples. He says, wherefore, there are, or sorry, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, <clears throat> the smallest one, so shall he be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we find here that, that he's teaching his disciples to be something in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. And then he teaches them, these are the things you ought to be doing. But he said, wait a minute, I'm going to pause it right here. Because in doing things, I want you to understand something. It's not just an outward doing and obedience. But there needs to be the righteousness of the law that you are seeking after. By the way, take a minute and look with me in verse number 6 of the same chapter. In the Beatitudes, he says this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of the law? Well, certainly, because that was the righteousness of God. It expresses His moral righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So he tells us here in verse number 19 that those that even offend in the least will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And those uh, that uh, the Bible says in verse number 19, uh, and those that teach men so, the Bible says, shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Not only are they those that disobey the commandments and the law, but those that teach others to do it also. By the way, we're all in that position, are we not? There is a, an inclination, and it's part of, I think, our human nature, to appear to be more than we are. You ever notice that? We would call it probably pride would be the best word for it. That we are more inclined to try to get people to think we're something more than we are. We try to do things outwardly that perhaps don't stem from the inside. They're not fruit of the heart. But they are things that we put on, not because we're trying to please God, but because we want the approval of men. I'm, I'm amazed in my lifetime over the years how many times I have caught myself uh, holding to things and, and behaving in a certain way outwardly. And when I, when I stop to think about the reason why, I would like to tell you today that it was because I loved God so much I just wanted to do it that way because I wanted to please Him. But I'll be real frank with you. I have not always done it for that reason. And by the way, neither have you. There is that inclination of men to appear to be something that they are not. And so we begin to justify things that we know are contrary to the Word of God in our lives. And they're not the big things. 
I mean, now, now we'll come out strong on issues uh, maybe like abortion uh, or the gay rights movement and things that we know to be uh, directly opposed to Scripture. But what about the little, the little things? Like being obedient to government in civil matters. We struggle with that one, don't we? Uh, we struggle about praying for those that are in authority over us. We don't do it because we don't like them. And we disagree with them. And we justify it by saying, well, they're, they're wicked people. I shouldn't have to pray for them. And, and the truth is, we all have those sins that we like, don't we? And we don't, we don't get as mad about those. We don't, we don't get as vocal about those. There are sins. And I've said it so often before, the worst sins in the world are the sins that somebody else has. They're never mine. Mine are, mine are good sins, you know. And by the way, you think the same way about yours. If, if you didn't think that way about them, you'd be as appalled by your own sin as you are at the sin of others. And so, he says not only are you going to be the least in the kingdom if you break these things, these commandments, but if you're teaching other men to do the same thing, if you're not holding, upholding that standard of right and wrong that God has given, if you're not being able to teach and to pass on the heart of the issue, the righteousness of Almighty God in this, in this issue, then he says you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But he says if we are obedient to those things, verse 19, uh, that whosoever shall do and teach him, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So it seems to be that the keeping of the moral law of God and His righteousness, if you will, are tied to our enjoyment of eternity. You say, well, Pastor, are you saying that uh, you have to have so much righteousness to get to heaven? No, that's not what I'm speaking about here. I'm speaking about our rewards. When we live in obedience to the Lord and we follow His commandments, we are faithful. The Lord gives us rewards that we are enjoying throughout eternity in heaven. But the Bible says that there's going to be a day where we're going to stand and give an account of every work that we have done since we've been saved, since we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And we're going to suffer not, not the judgment for our sin, but we're going to because that was paid for on Calvary. But we are going to suffer loss of reward. And you say, well, are there levels of heaven? No, there's not levels of heaven, but I do believe that some will enjoy heaven more than others. I believe the Bible teaches that here. We get to verse number 20, and he makes this statement. And this is the one I want you to really get a hold of here tonight, or today. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to uh, Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1. What does he mean when he says, Exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. What, what was the righteousness of the Pharisees? By the way, if you take time to read in Romans chapters uh, 7 and 8 and 9, 6, 7, 8, 9, even into 10... You're going to find that there is the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of the law is a reflection of the righteousness of Christ, but we cannot keep the righteousness of the law. And while the Pharisees were righteous outwardly, they were not righteous 
inwardly. They were trying to do things, were they not? They were trying to keep the law outwardly. And, and the Bible tells us that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, that we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so how do I get to heaven? I was listening to a fellow uh, that was being questioned by a young lady this week. And the lady said, so are you telling me what is the requirement to get to heaven? And the requirement to get to heaven, the fellow said, is perfection. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. And she said, well, wait a minute. You just said that nobody's perfect. He said, exactly. Not one of us is perfect. She said, so is there nobody in heaven? He said, oh, no, there's people in heaven. She said, I don't understand that. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. Nobody's perfect, but yet you say there are people in heaven. He said, she said, how does that happen? He said, grace. Grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what had to happen? There had to be a, a difference, a change in the heart. I can't work my way to heaven. I cannot keep the law in every point outwardly and expect to get to heaven. It's not going to happen. That's what the Pharisees did. And it wasn't enough. He said, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. They knew how to keep the ceremonial laws. They knew how to keep the laws of worship. They even kept the moral laws of God. But there was, there was something that didn't happen on the inside that caused them to not gain entrance into heaven. Look with me in Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1. Verse number 38, And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See, thou sayest not, say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded. For a what? A testimony unto them. Now, now follow with me. According to Old Testament law, and this was a, an issue of cleansing, according to Old Testament law, when a man or woman uh, got leprosy, they had to go and, and show themselves to the priest. The priest had to diagnose them. And sure enough, if they were uh, uh, leprous, found to be leprous, they were cast out. They were shunned. In fact, if they were walking down the street, they were required by the law to yell, unclean, unclean, and People would part out of the way and stay a distance from them. They were, there was a certain thing that had to happen, according to the law of Moses, if they were ever to be healed from the leprosy. They had to go and show themselves to the priest again and to be certified that they are no longer unclean. In the history of all of the law, there had only been one person, and he was not even an Israelite, so he did not follow through with these keeping of the law, that had ever been cleansed of leprosy that we have record of in Scripture. 
until this time. And that was Naaman the leper found in the Old Testament. So this is the first time that a leper who has a disease that he can do nothing about, he cannot get medical help, he cannot live a healthy lifestyle, he cannot put medications on it that will cause him to be healed, he is unclean. And he's no matter what he tries, he is not going to cleanse himself. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And this fella comes to the Lord, and he says in verse number 40, kneeling down unto him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Can I tell you, this is one of the great prayers that I think of salvation that's ever given in Scripture. There was a recognition in this prayer that he said, I, he was saying to the Lord, I know I can't clean myself. You're going to have to clean me. If, you're, if you will do it, if you're willing to do it, then will you make me clean? By the way, God's already told us what His willingness is, isn't He? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So His willingness is already there. What is lacking for men to come to Christ and to be saved is for them to say, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. I don't have the ability to live up to the righteousness of a holy God that gave me the law. In fact, so much so that in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, he says, For all have sinned and come, what? Short of the glory of God. We all fall short of it. None of us can do enough righteousness to get to heaven. And notice what takes place here. This, this leper is cleansed. Not by anything he did, but because of Christ touching him. Because of what Christ did for him. Then he tells the leper... He says, I want to make sure that you don't say anything to any man, but go and show thyself to the priest. Now, he was cleansed, and I'm sure that in his mind he's thinking, man, I can't wait. I've got to show my friends. I've got to show my family. Maybe he had a wife. Maybe he had kids. I don't know. And Jesus was saying, listen, whoa, wait a minute. I know you're excited about being cleansed, but before you do that, he's saying, I want you to go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which what? Which what? Moses commanded. Was he touched by God? Yes or no? Yes, he was. Was he healed by God? Yes or no? Did God still tell him to keep the commandments? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. The righteousness came by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the keeping of the commandments is still important. So much so that Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples... Here's some things you need to be doing in the Beatitudes and the Similitudes. And now, after we get through this passage, some other things He's going to teach them about what they should be doing that will meet and please His righteousness. He says, before you do that, I want you to understand something. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't, don't just have an external righteousness. Don't just have your righteousness. It is vitally important that as we do these things, we do them as a reflection of His righteousness.
So do I obey the law because if I don't, God's going to get me? Well, there's some fear of that. Brother Harold and I were talking about that a little bit this week. There is some fear that motivates us, I have no doubt. It's not the way we should live, but there's no doubt it does. There is a chastening of the Lord that comes when we disobey. But that ought not be our motivating factor. I think that there is a great joy in the Christian life when we do so because we long to please Him. We have a heart for His righteousness. When we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of us. And there was something made new inside of us, a cleansing. Something that was made whole inside of us. He tells these, he tells these disciples, he tells this leper in, in Mark chapter 1, he says, listen, you've been cleaned. I want you to go and I want you to follow the law. Do what Moses said to do. Go and show yourself to the priest. And then he does this. He says, and I want you to do it for a testimony <laughs> unto them. Can I tell you this, that keeping of the law as a Christian does not make you any more saved. But it is a testimony unto them. Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it and to fulfill it in every point because we couldn't. And then, by an act of grace, He gives us His righteousness. What was His righteousness? He fulfilled the righteousness of God in all points. Not just outwardly, but even inwardly. And He gives us His righteousness. Can I tell you this? That is the only way that we can get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Period. It's the only way we're going to get to heaven. There are people that think, well, I can just keep the law. I'll do my best. And, and, you know, I know I fail in some areas. Well, what did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, even in the least of these... We fall short, don't we? Our righteousness is less than the Pharisees. He says it's got to be greater than that. The only righteousness that was ever greater than the Pharisees was the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gives that to us freely. He gives that to us by putting our faith in Him. I... uh, I have a friend of mine that pastors down in Tampa, Florida. I was listening to a message he was preaching the other day, and he used an illustration. I love I loved the illustration. He he had been he had been up in Chicago, uh, Illinois, uh, for a, a little while, and uh, he was flying back to Tampa uh, on a Wednesday to be back in time for church. And he was sitting next to a lady in the airplane, and he began to talk to her about the Lord and said, um, uh, began to question her about if she was going to go to heaven when she died. And they began to have some discussion, and uh, she said, like most people do, well, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm living the best life, and I hope that it's enough to get me to heaven. And uh, my friend, uh, I guess, I don't know where he got the illustration from, if it was original with him, but he looked at the lady, he said, he said ma'am, we're flying, you and I are both flying from Chicago to Tampa. And she said, he said, uh, now, there's several ways we could have done this. He said, uh, you know, you and I, we could have 
We could have gotten up on the top of the Sears Tower there in Chicago and started flapping our arms really, really fast and jumped off of the building and putting forth every effort with every ounce of fiber that we could trust and believe that we were going to make it to to Tampa, we could make the attempt and try to do it. But he said, that that wouldn't really happen, would it? And the lady said, kind of chuckled, and said, no, that, that really wouldn't happen. He said, but I would be sincere about it. I'd be doing my best. I'd be doing every, I'd give every ounce of strength I had to it. But it wouldn't get him there, would it? He said, but here we are. We're flying from Chicago to Tampa, aren't we? He said, the difference is, it's not because of what we're doing. It's because we stepped on an airplane and entrusted our flight to one that could do it. Can I tell you this? When it comes to our salvation, there are things that we can attempt And we can be very sincere about it. And we can even put every ounce of effort we've got into trying to get there. But we don't have the ability. We've got to put ourselves in the hands of one who can. And that's what we call faith. When we say we have to have faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, that's all it is. It's not some big momentous act where trumpets sound and, and confetti shoots out and, and we've, we've done this and this and this and we've met the criteria and the formula. It's simply saying, I can't, Lord. If Thou wilt, will You make me clean? Will You give me Your righteousness to trust Him? to take us there. I hope most all of us, if not all of us, have done that. If you've not, I would encourage you to do it today. It's, it's a simple, simple thing. In fact, I, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I just don't like church. I don't like, I don't like uh, the things of the Bible. It tells me all this stuff I, I want to do, and it's, it's against me, and it's a mean book, and God's just out to, to make my life miserable. No, no, no. You've completely missed the whole purpose. He said that He came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. More abundant than anything this world has to offer. It's amazing to me how many people over the years I've heard say, I don't think a loving God would send anyone to hell. And they they truly believe, they truly believe that we who are sinners can do enough good to get to heaven. I mean, the very thing that we are the best at doing, sinning. We're going we're gonna to be able to conquer all that and live good enough to get to heaven? No. The righteousness had to be more than just an outward working. It had to be more than just the keeping of the law. It had to be a giving of ourselves to the righteousness of God and saying, Lord, that's what I want. I want Your righteousness. He came to fulfill the law in every part. He's the only one who could. He's the only one that kept the law in all points. 
even in the heart of the issue. And then He offers that righteousness to us. What a wonderful thought. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never made that decision. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to make a huge transforming work in your life. God will take care of all that. What I'm asking you to do is make the decision today, Lord, I want to trust you for my salvation. God will take care of all the rest of that stuff. You just need to make that decision today. Have you trusted Him as your Savior? I, uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, one of these days, <laughs> isn't it wonderful when we're young, we, we think we have our whole life before us? We do. In fact, in fact, if you're old, you still have your whole life before you, uh, at least the life that's left. Uh, but we think, boy, we're, we're invincible. We don't think about death. As we get older, we begin to think about those things. What's to come? And it's amazing to me how many times we go through the day not even thinking that today could be my last day. I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, and uh, they went to take my blood pressure. And the nurse that was taking my blood pressure looked at me and kind of went, had that look on her face. And I said, is it bad? She said, we'll take it again in a few minutes. And a few minutes later, she did a few other things, and she took it again. She got an even deeper frown on her, on her face. I said, is it bad? I said, well, what is it? She said, well, I'm not going to tell you that because it will make it go up higher. <laughs> she said, let's, let's let you rest a minute. There's a, there's a Field and Stream magazine there. Read about fishing or hunting or something. Just sit here and relax for a little bit. We'll take it again. And uh, I sat there, and I took it again. And finally, she let me see what the numbers were. I'm going to tell you something. We, get, we got to talking to the doctor, and he said, you're not, you're not approaching a danger point. You're already there. He said, you're not getting to the place of heart attack or stroke. You're already there. And all of a sudden, I got pretty serious-minded about some things. I've got a son that still lives at home. I've got... Two daughters. One of them's not married yet. I'm praying that doesn't happen until she's 40, but she's not married yet, and I'd like to be around to see that. And I began to take some things a lot more seriously. Isn't it amazing that the most serious decision a man can make, the decision of where he's going to spend eternity, is so often pushed to the back and never even considered. And there are many, many people in this world today that die and go to hell because they never considered, where am I going to go when I die? And Satan is, Satan is shrewd. He's, he's pretty tricky. He doesn't usually come to people and say, I don't want you to get saved. That's not usually his tactic. His tactic usually in his thought that he puts in your mind is, I'll do that one of these days. He's not saying don't get saved. He's saying just don't do it today. He's going to keep doing that to you until the end of your life is going to come and it's going to be too late.
I, I want to encourage you, the, the disciples were being taught here, and it, it really was not a message of salvation as much as it was teaching the disciples that they needed to make sure that in the process of doing what they're doing and living, that it is not just something that they do externally. It's not something that they just do rotely and because they're robotic about it. But it is something that needs to reflect their desire, their hunger, and their thirst for the righteousness of God. That is the motivating factor that ought to be in the heart of every Christian. To say, this is what I want to do. I want to pursue the righteousness of God. He's given it to us in His, in his law. He has shared His moral character with us and said, now I want you to go out here and live that way. And He does so with His disciples. If you're here today and you're not saved, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I urge you, make that decision today. Don't, don't wait another day. And if you're already saved, you say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I've been saved for a long time. God's been good to me. I've grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I encourage us in this thing that He's teaching the disciples today, and that is this, that yes, while we are doing the things that God has commanded us to do in His Word, can we just get to the place where we don't do them externally, where we just go through the motions? We need to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. We need to to do it with a hunger and a thirst to pursue after His righteousness. And that ought to be our motivation. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless the time that we spend here around it. I pray that You would guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, You did not come to change or to uh, destroy to make annul the the law. You have continued to use it even over these years to 